I did not know that Jimi Hendrix was Lutheran. On that note, Lutheran greetings and welcome to Casting Nets podcast. I am one of your obnoxious hosts, Pastor Don Winsberger, serving in the area of South Dakota and Nebraska. My homely but very friendly cohort in crime is Pastor Will Harley serving out in the eastern Wisconsin area. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast once again today. Um, Just wanted to start out by saying uh, uh, my wife can very well attest to all of you listeners on this. I have just had a week where I like to try to call it a spiritual gift, but it's really my sinful nature just really trying to poke the sleeping bear. So I'm just going to throw out a line right here and just ask, uh, am I alone in despising the Reformed Church? Maybe we just need to have a Bible class on that sometime or a podcast. (laughs) Uh, uh, But really to get to the point today, we are going back to our study of the book of Daniel. And before we get there, I just want to say this. You are probably going to hear something today that rankles you. It might rub you the wrong way. It might make you grind your teeth. If that happens, please feel free to contact us by email. Um, you can uh, you can find uh, find out some way. I'm sure through the synodical directory to reach us by telephone, talk to us, or you can just plain tune us out and. Uh, as one of my favorite comedic, comedic duos from the 70, 70s and 80s always like to say, if we have offended you, we have accomplished our purpose. And so with that being said, why don't we have the rest of our intro music and wonderful Pastor Harley will take it from there. Well, I guess now we are back, and um, a couple of comments as we we comment on the comments is is we've had opportunity throughout this day to to really um, see in the study of of Daniel uh, why it is we like to be Lutheran and and why it is we call ourselves Lutheran. Um, you know, the question that went out is is do we have a justification and a right to really be upset with and 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 find great discomfort with the Reformed? And I think the answer is going to be a resounding yes. Um, not necessarily because they don't have the Scriptures or because they, they're not Christian, but because they deny such grace that God gives in all aspects of, of our daily life. And we're going to be witnessing that here in, in Daniel chapter 9. 
um, just the grace of God seen in in the midst of suffering and in the midst of of pain and in the midst of unrest, right? We're going to see this wonderful, wonderful gift. Um, so what we have here, and and I think we need to need to approach this um, in in a very evangelical and and, and wonderful way. We have, in the beginning of chapter 9, we have a Daniel who is distressed. And uh, the distressed Daniel is, as I see it, a man who has finally gotten aggravated enough or exasperated enough where he says enough is enough. Um, He has gone through three governments, not only his own, and then been taken prisoner and led to Babylon, uh, where he was under the, the, the Babylonian government. He's now left the Babylonian government and saw the downfall of that to to now being brought into the government of the Medes and the Persians, and he is seeing he is seeing what is going on with the people of Israel. He's seeing what's going on in in this life that they have now had to live for almost seventy years, right? And and he he's hit that point where where now. He, you know, his normal habit of praying three times a day is is starting to come in. And um, this is, I, I think I want to highlight before we begin, is something that, that separates, I, I think, Lutheranism from other Christian denominations, maybe we would say. Um, prayer is not a, a sacrament. Prayer is not, uh, um, is, it is not something that, that, we do for God and then he blesses us. It is a communication we have with him, right? He blesses us through his sacramental work, which would be through the word, through uh, meditating on the word and understanding the word as the spirit works, but also through receiving baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the sacramental works. Um, and, and and our response is prayer. Just a, a side note of that, and, and forgive me for this. I'm going to be very blunt. Uh, a, a reformed term that really, really ch- uh, grinds my gears, as Peter Griffin, Peter Griffin likes to say, is that uh, is the term "prayer warrior." Um, that is one of the most arrogant terms I've heard um, in the in the Christian Church at large, um, at least during the last 20, 30 years, uh, with this idea that uh, that that prayer is something that coerces God and the greater my faith, the more I can coerce God into what I'm doing. Um, This, what a wonderful lesson here from the prayer, from Daniel's prayer of what true Christian prayer really is. Well, and you notice, um, I I guess I, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't remember anywhere in scripture where it says, and, uh, and pick up the sword of prayer. I I I I don't I don't remember that. I, I correct me if if I've missed it somewhere. Um, you know the 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 battlement that we get is revolved around the sacramental aspects of of what God gives and what He bestows through the working of the Spirit and the Word, um, and He gives to us. Those are the armor and the and the weapons that we are given. Um, as we we have this though, and and I I think we need to start up in it. Um, we do see something very unique here with Daniel's prayer that I, I think needs to be commented on. And that is Daniel's prayer is very, I, I'm going to say the word pastoral and, and maybe you can unpack what that means. Um, 
But but Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 especially is very pastoral. Indeed. Uh, pastoral, Christian. Um, th- this prayer of Daniel in chapter 9, in my humble opinion, is one of the most beautiful prayers in Scripture, and there are many prayers in Scripture. Uh, The Psalms are beautiful, um, spirit-inspired prayers of of King David, of Moses, of of prophets, and and, and of God's people. Um, Daniel's is beautiful and pastoral for... uh, uh, for 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 many reasons, and actually, I think what really strikes out in my mind in the beauty of David's prayer, Daniel's prayer, sorry, is the is the fact that it really follows, uh, it really follows the the pattern of worship. Um, it follows the pattern of worship that Dan, that Daniel's people were accustomed to in the temple. It follows the pattern of worship that we are accustomed to as, uh, um, as Lutheran Christians, uh, Christians of the Western Rite. Um, also, I'm just going to take a time here to put in a little bit of a commercial for another book that I, I just bought and I'm reading, and I'm reading two dozen books at the same time, um, In Defense of Christian Ritual which is actually a wonderful book. If you ever have a question on why we worship as Lutherans the way that we do, that is a beautiful book among many that are out there that do highlight that. But that being said, uh, I, uh, David's humility, realizing that he has no right to come to God and ask him anything, um, realizes who he is and who he is not, and realizing who God is and approaches him in humility um, and looking for forgiveness and realizing that he needs a savior and that everything else flows from that. That is where I find that beauty of this prayer. And I would agree that Daniel, Daniel has, uh, this is an amazing prayer that I think um, with very little alteration, in fact, maybe no alteration, would fit very well in, in a beginning portion of service under the confession and absolution. And, and, it, and, and just ironic, not ironically, but to note, many of our Lutheran congregations, if you have a pastor that uh, um, fancies himself as liturgical, and maybe liturgically innovative. I have seen these sections of this prayer included in different festival worship liturgies as part of the confession. They are beautiful and 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 are included with no with no addition or subtraction whatsoever. They stand fine on their own. Right. And I, and I think that's where we're going to find that. Well, then let's jump on into to the preface to this prayer, and and we can see where it, it first finds its its center, and then we'll move out from there, and we'll we'll take apart the prayer. Um, there is going to be, and and I'm just going to give you a heads up. There's going to be some prophecy that we'll be talking about here um, later on in the show, but we're going to spend less time on that and more time on on what 
what comes before and then precipitates into into that prophecy. And so let, we begin in we got another time another time stamp here in in the book of Daniel chapter 9. And the time stamp is the first year of Darius the son of Xerxes uh, who was a Mede. Um kind of interesting that we have this uh um um this guy Xerxes, um, Hebrew Azuerus, right? Um, Azuerus, and and so the the question is: Is this the same one from Ezra? The same Xerxes from Esther? Um, many people say no. That that this is a, a maybe a different guy who is is more um, ruling over the the area of Babylon at this time instead of all of the Medes and the Persians. Another thing of interest that I would say about him is is the highlight specifically that he he is a Mede. Now, if you know anything about uh, from our last podcast on Daniel, we talked a little bit about the Medes and the Persians and how they were two kingdoms, right? Two nation bodies that had sort of butted up together and the Medes were less. They were they were they were not as plentiful as the Persians. And so we have here a ruling class over uh, a, a far greater workforce um, that you can sort of see in this opening. Uh, and then moving right along, I would say, uh, and, and where we might want to uh, center some of our focus here as we begin, is um, Daniel, Daniel is praying according to his a process of reading God's word and meditating on it. And, and we see that he opens up the scriptures, he opens up the scrolls, um, that there was a value in preserving those, even, even though the temple is gone, there's a, a value in preserving God's word. And he looks at Jeremiah. He looks to Jeremiah, who everybody had thrown away, right? For, his, for pretty much the entirety of his ministry. Um, yet we see, the, we see that, that, that God had preserved Jeremiah's words and people understood them to be God's words. And now Daniel is going back and referring to them and and is is meditating on them appropriately. Yes. Um, this may be a, something that, I, I mean, my thought that I'm going to express here is maybe something more fitted for the clergy, clergy but actually coming and looking at this and dwelling on this once again, um, again, showing... This was something that was a, a little, maybe a little bit different, maybe not. Uh, but the fact that at this point in time, I don't think our people realize that the average everyday Jew at this time or before, they didn't have books like we have now. They had scrolls. And not everybody had access to the scrolls. Daniel as a prophet, as a, as a religious leader among his people had. Um, but it seems to be at this time, too, this seems to be a time in Israel's history where um, among God's people, good that came out of the uh, captivity because they were separated from the temple. It drove the faithful to, again, God's word, to copy it down, to share it with one another. Um I just see it as, and I just see this once again. God's hand is what, what human beings and our sinful natures look at is this is a disaster, yada yada. God's out of control. No, God's bringing good out of this as well too. Well, and and we're going to actually see that going ahead. Now, and and granted, this is going to be foresight jumping ahead, you know, hundreds of years. 
but we are going to see one of the greatest benefits, and it is a benefit, one of the greatest benefits that come out of the dispersion, the 70 years of, of, of captivity, is the, the start of the synagogue. That these are the places where God's people will gather and they will be taught God's word and, and scripture will be read for them and prayer will be for them, available for them outside of the temple worship which I think is is really an important thing, and that leads us into the, the New Testament era where, where these synagogues were the jumping points for the Christian church. Um, as, as you have these areas where, where God's people were far flung and, and, and they were forced to gather these scriptures. They were forced to um, um, have these locations in separate areas where they came together. I think that is a very important comment to make that that this is God's plan going even further into the future, not just for the now, yes. but into yes. the into the time to come. Yes. Um, also makes uh, uh, just maybe a little bit of an application point here too, in a reminder to me. Uh, these people did not have, and 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 actually recently only up until about four or 500 years ago, did not have easy access, not only to printed material, but especially to scripture. And I look at in my lifetime now, which is almost spanning six decades, um, is, is the fact that with just, you know, every household has a Bible in it. Now we're blessed with technology and smartphones. Um, I don't know too many people in our pews that don't have a Bible on their on their smartphone, um, but then how much time? It's so easily accessible, but yet we spend more time looking at this, more time looking at that. Um, we have uh, we have a blessing that so many of God's people haven't had for the majority of world's history. We have it right at our fingertips. Just I say that not to heap on guilt, but as an encouragement. Right. Well, you know, and, and, and just as the encouragement goes, you know, and, and dear listener, you know, so many people said, well, I really, you know, I, I struggle with reading. I don't read very well, or, or I would really love to have the scriptures listen to us. You can get that for free now. They, they, you can have the scriptures read to you for free over your smart device. Um, I mean, they're, they're the, the ability to gather around the word is, is so great that now we are neglecting it out of spite in some ways. Um, yes. Sorry for interjecting this thought, but actually it's something, it's one of the reasons that uh, uh, I personally started delving into the book of Daniel because I want Daniel, I just think, ask answers a whole lot of questions for me for what's happening, what may happen, what won't happen. Don't know what any of those things are, but let's just focus on the what may happen. Easy access to the word, easy gathering, um, you know, to gather together to hear. What quite I'm not saying that even that we should throw out an answer for this because it's going to come down to an individual question and an individual choice. Is what are we going, what am I going to do? If access to the hearing and teaching and reading of scriptures becomes limited, you know that's a that is a beautiful question, and I'm not going to answer that because I'm going to leave that for our listeners maybe to pursue. But I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you this follow up question. 
do you think they will limit or remove the scriptures since no one is listening to them anyway? There have been portions of history where that has happened to God's people because it's either been despised, taken for granted too long, and maybe you could call that despising, where in the prophets, God speaks even in his word that if you you despise it, he will take it from one and give it to another. Right. But I, I, I mean, I look at it in the sense of, you know, um, well... <laughs> Okay, now this is just a commentary on our society right now. You know, we're banning this book, banning that book. Um, we're not going to print this book. We're gonna we're gonna blacklist that one. Um, maybe it's because the greater people in the in the society still say we're not at that point where we can do that to scripture, and maybe that's where your question is coming from. And it could happen. But I'm also wondering if if that maybe won't happen because most people don't pick up the scriptures like they used to and ingest them like they did. Uh, maybe they never did. I don't know. That's a really good question that that is good for us to to think about. Well, and and that's that's really and and really that's only part of my question. Well, is and and actually I wasn't even thinking about that, but that is a, an important part of of an answer to that question. Uh, but also, just what's going to happen? I mean, already we've experienced a little bit of this so far. Um. It not to not to I'm not saying it was persecution or anything, but for the simple fact that a pandemic for a short period of time in the grand scheme of things, it seemed like it was forever. But for a short period of time in this grand scheme of things where we weren't gathering in our places of gathering for the hearing of God's word for the teaching of God's word for mutual encouragement. I'm in for receiving the sacrament. Um, that was for a reason. And that was for a reason of, and some might disagree on this, but we're not here to discuss that. Uh, that wasn't for the reason of, of, of religious persecution or necessarily judgment of God. What I'm saying is if you know, we've already been talking with our people about, okay, the government didn't isn't saying you can't worship. You just can't there worship in this that. way. You just can't worship in this way yes. right now. Now, there are fears among some that the future may hold in this wonderful country of ours where that day might come and some feel it might be coming sooner rather than later. That's why I framed this question. Well, I think then to answer that question, because that that I, I I think where you're going with that is a is where we see the frustration of Daniel. Um, Daniel's yep. reading the scripture and he's saying, "Okay, you know, I, I'm I'm reading from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says that this was seventy years. We're approaching that." Um, Daniel knew this, and he says, "I'm st I'm still seeing that things aren't turning around. Things aren't going the way that I anticipated that they were supposed to go. You know, it's really hard or really easy to hang on to. I can make it through. I can make it through. I can make it through. When you're looking ahead and saying there is light at the end of the tunnel, but maybe he's not necessarily seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And so now he he works into this, and and maybe this is the good advice for us too, and and how we approach this." we work into this prayer. What is the response from the study of God's word, from from 
hearing the Lord speak to us through through His Spirit and Word. Um, now, what is our response as 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 we are moved by the Spirit to do this? And and here we go. Here is the prayer, which has I think one of the greatest beginnings bar the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah. We have the greatest beginning. And and it begins with the word that that all of us should learn. Please. Yes. Just it, it notice, you know, notice here too, when we uh when we as pastors teach prayer in catechism class, in adult information class. You know, uh, the Lord, we, we look at the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is a wonderful, it's a model prayer. Um, and uh, and again, but notice how all of the examples that we have of prayer in Scripture really hold a basic format. Um, confession. The confession is adoration, praise to God for who he is, acknowledging for whom he is. Confession. Thanksgiving to God for who he is, and then su- humble supplication. Real, this is one of the things where I love the prayer of Daniel so much is Daniel here is completely realizing who God is, and he completely realizes who he is. And through the whole prayer, does not lose sight of that. Well, and, and the way he begins it is there's not even a single demand. There, I mean, this is not a, this is not, um, you know, any. There's not any arrogance in any form of what he's saying. In fact, there, I, I find in the very first uh, verses of that prayer, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with four and at four through six. Those very first verses, I see personal accountability, and, and linked with, and here's the pastoral heart. It's not only personal accountability, but it's also um, communitive accountability. Where, where the, the community in which he lives, he not only says, I am a part of this, but I'm, I'm also sinner just like they are. And we all need. It's not me versus them. It's not you versus them. And then I'm standing over here. It's us versus you, God, and we are wrong. It's uh, maybe to make this a little bit more practical, uh, shamefully so, I'll say here in the past year or so or and and we struggle with this as christians when it seems like things to get to be the lowest our prayer life seems to increase um and uh it's one of these things and i appreciate this prayer daniel because as i look at my fears at this point in life and what may come or what may not um as i take time to pray for my government, as I take time to pray for fellow citizens in this country who may not see eye to eye with me. What a wonderful lesson this is here as I look at, it's so easy for us as Christians today and look at what's happening and point the finger at other Christians. This is why this is happening. No, I've helped to contribute to this, to this too. Right. And I think Daniel does that. He, and, 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 and notice, you know, it's very interesting because we're going to see this coming up over and over and over again. In verse five, he just very succinctly says, we have sinned. Um, the idea I, we've missed the mark and he includes himself. We've missed the mark, but then he goes on and it just gets, it almost seems like it gets worse and worse as he piles onto himself. 
the accredited and, and, and the people of Israel all of the accredited sin of what they did. Because notice he goes, we have sinned, we have been guilty, acted wickedly, rebellion, right? Um, what else? Did not listen. Uh, um, I mean, there's just five right there that, that he says in that very first. Okay, so, you know, not only have we sinned, but now we're guilty and we've rebelled and we have acted poorly and we have not listened. Um, these are horrible, horrible things. And and then he he counters that with his response. Um, and, and that's in verse 7. He counters it, right? He says, okay, this is us. And then he says, but God, this is you. And he says, you're righteous. <laughs> Which is, you know, sometimes, sometimes we in our prayer life, we, we forget that aspect. We're like, I'm this way, but, but God, you still owe me. N- no. Um, I am this way, and God, you're righteous, and you owe me nothing. And there's no bargaining in Daniel's prayer either. Um, he has he has he has searched the scriptures. Um, um, as he searched the scriptures and studied, this has also fueled his side of the. I mean, he's listened to God, and now this is his response, fueled by God's voice. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's and that's the beauty of it. There's no hint of arrogance. There's no bargaining because once again, now once he's heard the voice of God, that's helped him to realize, uh, I have nothing to bargain with. There's nothing I have or we have that God wants. Um, so and once at least I'll speak personally for myself. Once I get a grip on that, that sure makes prayer life a whole lot different. Well, it does, and and the way and and okay, so you know, you had brought up the question about reformed, and and very inevitably, and this is an over character caricature of that, and I and I understand that. So if you're listening and you're going to get upset, realize I am purposely making this an over caricature. But so often, doesn't it? Pastor William Harley, Harley at gmail dot com. <laughs> As you as you are looking at this, though, I mean, if you think about it, right, and and we try to rationalize this, how often in in our prayer life and and reformed do this? I think predominantly, we believe that I am something, and therefore God, you owe me because I have given to you, like um, and and that's just built into the theology of reformed theology in and of itself. Whether they agree to it or not, it's implicit in the idea that I am special in and of myself, and therefore, if I acquiesce to God's call, therefore, in some way, shape, or form, even in the most minutest of possibilities, God owes me for acquiescing to his call. And, and you don't see that in, in Daniel. In, in, human, in world religions, that is the common element in prayer. Um, prayer is a common element in all religions. And what's and what's common in all prayer from all religions except biblical Christianity is bargaining. Right. I did this, therefore you owe me that. Yes. Or, I did this to appease, appease you, Lord. So here's the receipt. Cash it in. Right. And And what do we see here? We see Daniel very, very simply saying, in the face of what we are, and this is the beautiful part starting in, in, in verse 7, right? Because he says it, in the, face in, in the face of what you are, which is righteous and compassionate and giving and loving, I feel shame because I am none of those things and deserve none of it. 
And, and and I think there's a there is a marked difference. And and Daniel is talking as a person who is forgiven, and yet he still feels shame because this is a continual problem he has that that he is not standing up to the mark in which God had said do. And and that is the work of the law in its first and second use. We know this, right? That that, that it just is. The work of the law in its first and second use is is to be the curb that says don't do, don't do. There's consequences. The mirror that says you haven't performed. And and he sees this, and he sees a righteous God who is deserving of everything and deserves far better than what we give, and he feels the shame of it. That yet God continues to be righteous and continues to be gracious and continues to be merciful. I, I think yeah. that is just, uh, to me, that's one of the most powerful segments of this prayer, uh, that middle section, uh, where where um, where he even contains in verse 9, which I think, okay, and you may not agree, or, or the listeners may not agree, but I think verse 9 is the most beautiful gospel in that prayer, um, where, where, according to EHV, here's how it's translated, acts of compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, even though we have rebelled against him. That is, to me, one of the most beautiful gospel sections. Yes. Um, David or Daniel's realizing here, and this is something too, this is one of uh, uh, this is why maybe that sometime, maybe this summer, I'm, I might decide to preach a, a sermon series on this. Is the fact that David or Daniel in the midst of in the midst of captivity, um, in the midst of oppression of God's people, in the midst of difficulty, even in his own life, through his entire life, he realizes two things. All that's happening, he and his fellow people deserve. That's what they've earned. But through all of this upheaval, he also sees the hand. I think we lost. You might have repeat that. We lost the connection just very briefly. Okay. Um, that through all of this upheaval in Daniel's life and in, and in Israel's life, he realizes I and my fellow people, we this is what we have earned. This is what we deserve. And we actually deserve worse than this. But God, you're in control. You're guiding. Um, I don't have a complete grip on this, on what you're going to do. But I know who you are. And good has come out of this. And good will continue to come out of it. That's the thing that amazes me. Because really, it doesn't matter how good life is or how crappy life is. That is the constant. God is always the constant. Um, and Daniel brings that out beautifully here. I have a, I have, you know, speaking about God being the constant, I have a question that, that maybe, maybe you can seek to answer for me. I kind of struggle with the end and the end of verse 11 and, and the beginning of verse 12, not because I don't understand the words, but I, I want to know the context in which they're spoken. Is this is this a reflection of law or is this a reflection of hope? Um and, and, and therefore gospel. And and here's here's what it says, and then and maybe we can we can discuss this in some of the time that we have here as we're talking about the prayer. 
Notice he says near the end of verse 11, So you poured out the curse on us, fulfilled the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we sinned against him. Beginning at 12, God has fulfilled the words that he spoke against us and against our judges by bringing such a great disaster upon us. What was done in Jerusalem has never been done under all of heaven. Now, the reason I ask, is this law, I mean, is this is this fear of him, or is this is this sort of a hope, um, gospel-y thing? Where, and the reason I ask that is because I struggle with the with this the concept of sometimes we we only limit God to saying He fulfills the good promises He makes, but He also fulfills the the ones that He says when I when I say I'm going to punish, I will punish. You know, I think again, depending upon which from which direction you approach this, um, but again, in this, I, I, I think maybe one of the difficulties for us is to understand this is because of our own sinful natures, and the re, and because our sinful natures, this is how our sinful natures and the sinful natures of our listeners operate. We either try to poo-poo sin, minimalize it, make excuses for it. Um, um, and so forth, um, and say everybody else is doing it, yada yada, or whatever. Daniel's not doing this here. This is this is a genuine confession of sin, and it is something. Again, it's a confession of sin where actually the law has done its work. Uh, Daniel here, the law has crushed Daniel, and now in 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 faith, and again after studying the scriptures. He, 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 he gospel motivated through the Lord, the Savior, the covenant God, the I am who forgives sins to a thousand generations who love him and keep his commandments. Um, that Daniel's coming to this God going, yeah, we've messed up. I've messed up. Um, uh, Lord, the reason that I'm even living, breathing, speaking to you right now is because of your great mercy. Law has done its work. This response of Daniel, I guess, we, I think it's really properly to say without without confusing law and gospel, the law did its work. Daniel, speaking to God, gospel motivated. But I, And I, yes, you can speak about your confession, gospel motivated. And and I like that gospel motivated and and even though it is it is definitely a section of and I I know it is a section of law in the sense that that it's talking about God punishing. There is a the, the I like that gospel motivation idea that says I still rely on my God because no matter no matter what area it is He keeps His promise, and and there yeah. is the there's the comfort there. No matter what area it is, He keeps His promise. So. So you have with Daniel, and he's going to rely on that because the promise is for him. And we're actually we got we got we got more to go there. I just want to quote quote to you from some from uh, um, from Professor from Professor Jeske's commentary. He said, "Here's the first part of God's remedy for sin: Don't deny it, don't excuse it, confess it humbly and honestly." The second part of that divine remedy for sin is to ask God to pardon it and to cover it with his mercy. Daniel now proceeded to do just that. Um, And so we get that, you know, we get that transition between what we're looking at right here and in the verses of the prayer to come. 
Right. And, and I, I, yeah. So you have the transition. So he recognizes if this was good. Um, the, the God's law is always good and, and God's punishment for sin is always good and just. I want to, I want to quote my grandmother. Um, because a lot of times too, we'll, especially as we look at the sin of others, we have the tendency. And right now in the, in the climate that we're living in, it's really easy to look at the sin of others. And this is what my grandmother always used to say. If all of us, if we all got, if we, if we all got what we had coming to us, none of us would be here. The globe would be completely empty. Right. Daniel realizes this here. Um, and shamefully, I have to say, my sinful nature does not always realize that fact. I can easily identify the sins of others. I can easily identify the sins of society, but I have a really hard time of grouping myself in with. Well, not not only that, but you see that that he is he 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 links himself with this and identifies with this. And then he steps back and he says, not only am I identifying with them, but I'm identifying that that God is separate from us and righteous. And, yes. And and that 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 what whether I like it or not, what we received is what we deserved. Um and, and then that leads us really to the end of the prayer, right? The end of the prayer is is okay, so he has this whole lead up of saying, This is where we have fallen. And and maybe this is a good indicator for us to say maybe our prayers do need to be a little bit more concerned about the amount of confession we need, um, and understanding where we stand before our Lord. But then he he comes to the point in seventeen right where where he he asks the Lord for something that I think is truly, um, I I think it's truly amazing because what he asks for is reminiscent of the ironic blessing. And 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 the ironic blessing is a promise of what God said He would do for God's people, and and so I I find what He requests starting in seventeen is is very much linked to that promise where He comes back to the Lord and says, "But you promised," and so I'm 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 holding you accountable to your promise, right? Um, Abraham, Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. Abraham was not bargaining with God. He was just, you know, so many people look at Abraham's prayer and praying over, you know, with, if there are 50 righteous, if there's 40, please. Abraham's not, bar- and this is where our Reformed counterparts look at that and go, Abraham's bargaining and wrestling with God. No, 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 no. Abraham is holding God to his promises. Yes. And, and that is an important thing for us to understand is that that we have every right as his children to hold God to his promises, uh, to hold our Lord to the promises that he has made. And, and, the, and the very first promise he holds him to, very, very simply, is let your face shine upon us, right? Um, really, he says, let your face shine upon your desolate sanctuary. And then he says, for your sake, not for us. But because you promised, and and so it's really it, it's for you. And that is a that is an amazing way to look at it. Um, it, it's not for my sake, you know. It, it's it's because you promised to be here. 
You know, that uh, what a what a great thing to be able to say to our own and I would say this even to our own church. Um, you know, yes, do I believe that the, that that the church is a wonderful thing? It is. God doesn't need the church, but he has promised, right? God has promised to be there where where the sacraments are. He has promised to be present where where his word is 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 spoken. Um and so Daniel is relying on that and saying, this is where you promise to be and and fulfill that promise. Yes. It's uh um again it, it it's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful it's a it's a beautiful uh uh prayer of faith again wonderful model another wonderful model for prayer it may brings to mind that uh, oh going back in the last two decades one probably one of the most popular christian books or at least in uh, in christian bookstores which tend to be reformed is the prayer of jabez which is really just once again it's a if you want to call it a, a, an anomaly in scripture that's what i like to call it it's a short prayer most Christians haven't heard it, don't know it, but it's it's someone again, one of those things where a prayer is taken into a bargaining with God. So many things not related to prayer, outside of prayer, outside of our relationship with God brought into it. It's stuff like that that irritates me. And then you get a beautiful prayer here like Daniel's. Um, and, and again, this is one probably, in my humble opinion, like you said, other than the Lord's Prayer, which really puts a great perspective, not only on what prayer is, but a model for us to have to, 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 to go back to. Oh, yeah. And, and I would say that, you know, if the Lord's Prayer is the model for prayer in the New Testament, Daniel's Prayer is the model for prayer for the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, and I yes. think we could definitely say that um, because he does end it right. Um, and, and I, I, I kind of like how he sum, starts to sum it up. Verse 18, end of verse 18, is a really good summation of his prayer. Um, he he kind of leads and he says, he says, open your eyes uh, and see the desolation that is upon us and the city that is called by your name. He says, no, it is not because of our righteous acts that we are casting our plea for grace before you. And then he says, but because of your great acts of compassion. What a good, what a, what an awesome summary of the prayer. Yes. And that's a great way to transition into the answer, um, because uh, and again, that's we get we get the answer in the in in the uh, in the vision, or actually in the vision that he that he gets here. Um, I love this part. This is something that I've got highlighted in my Bible. Um, we're told, and I don't have this part as he's talking about it, this, this prayer. This prayer, it's no more than over. Gabriel appears to him once again, either in a vision or a dream or and maybe even possibly personally. But I love I love this I love this verse. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. And then we get this answer, and it is a beautiful answer to Daniel's prayer. I want to toss that at you because I think you have a, your mind has wrapped its wrapped itself around this vision better than mine has. Oh, I wouldn't know about that. Um, but the the vision is of the seventy sevens, and and this is a a vision that I think is is hotly contested um, within Christendom today. 
um, mostly between what we would say are are the biblical view and the one that would be called, I think, for out of tense and purposes, the millennial view. Um, and and I would say, just in general, this we are going to focus on the biblical view because it's biblical. And we're not going to be focusing on the millennial view because nowhere in Scripture is there, is there this thing of the millennium uh, or a millennial reign of Christ. It is a figment of Jewish imagination that has been amalgamated into Reformed teaching uh, to try to offer and afford people who don't gather around the Word an opportunity to all of a sudden make themselves better for Christ when they see things hitting the fan and forgetting to duck. Um, and, and I think that's the better way to say it, right? When, when, when my dog's poop hits the fan. Oh, sorry, Kirk Cameron, we apologize. No, not really. <laughs> you know, I mean, Left Behind series made a ton of money off the Reformed, and I'm, I, that's great for the people who wrote the books. And they're, they're stories of stories of stories, but they're not biblical. So we have here a biblical idea of, of the 77s. Now, what we have to realize, I think, first, as we discuss the 77s, is that these are, these are not 70 weeks. Although it says weeks, it's not like we would not understand a week. This is a figurative way of expressing time or a period of time. Most biblical scholars, and I think any biblical scholar worth their, their salt, are going to look at this and say, okay, this is a signification of years. We, we kind of understand that. And so we have, we have blocks of years that are set aside. And we have, so this idea of 70 times 7, right? So that'd be like about 490 years, um, you know, give or take a little bit of a time frame there. So we have, we have a, a, a span of time. Now, what is going to happen in that span of time? And why are we dealing with a span of time? And, and I think the answer to the prayer is, is in the very verse 24 when Gabriel is explaining what's going to happen. Because what we have is, you know, what was it that Daniel's looking for? Daniel's looking for God's compassion. He's looking for grace. He's looking for mercy. He's looking for an answer to the age-old question, why do bad things happen in, in this world? And how is this ever going to be rectified and, and solved? And and there in verse 24, we have that answer, right? Because in here's here's where it is, and 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 I'm gonna now I'm gonna tell you who it's pointing to, and and then we're gonna kind of sum up and go from there. But here it is. He says in verse 24, 77s are determined concerning your people and your holy city. And then he says, to end rebellion, to finish sin to atone for guilt, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy one. And, and I look at that and I think to myself, man, Gabriel just gave us the, the holy grail of the timeline between the end of the 70 years of, of, of exile to the very cross in, of Christ and, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Um, you know, the end of rebellion, what does God do? He makes us his family by giving his son. Um, he finishes sin. It is finished. The very words of Christ upon the cross. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that sin no longer plagues us. No, that still does. But the battle is, is, is the, the war is over, right? The war is over. Um, little skirmishes are still happening, but the war is over. Christ is victorious. The atone, to atone for guilt, 
what is it that Christ does? He is the atoning sacrifice for all of our sin. Um, he is the Lamb who is doing these things um, to bring everlasting righteousness. Second Corinthians right five twenty one. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, this is this is the everlasting righteousness now given to us through Christ and his 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 ability. All of prophecy points ahead to who and and to whose work? Christ. Christ. The whole Bible. You know, and that's and that is that and and that is where it comes down to, uh, dear listeners. All as we understand the Bible, um, we learn it in confirmation class. Whoever your pastor was that took you through Christian instruction, um, for as a Lutheran, um, God bless him. Um, it, it's the fact that is all of our pastors they teach you this when it comes to reading reading your Bible, studying your Bible, forming your beliefs. All scripture is not only God breathed, but every page of scripture bleeds Christ. Um, and no matter what teaching we're looking at, no matter what section of scripture we're looking at, it comes back to where we answer the question, where is Christ here? Where is Christ? It's always got to come back to him. And if it doesn't, we're mutilating, we're mutilating scripture. And and I would even say this, and and you, and I I've said this about hymns before, um, and that's why I choose not to sing certain hymns over others, and 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 I know some people get upset about that, but but I'm a firm believer in this that if if Christ is implied, then Christ is denied. If you have to imply, oh, I just meant Christ, but you've never said him, and it didn't directly, I mean, then then you've really denied him, and all of Scripture points directly to the Messiah. Directly to the Messiah, even though even though in the Old Testament they might have not known his name his name as Jesus, they knew his name as the Messiah. They knew his name as the the suffering servant. They knew the his name, yeah, the seed of the woman, um, the blessing from from the the seed of Abraham, Isaac, uh, or Jacob, um, the Lion of Israel, the Lamb of God. They knew him as as all of his divine names that are given. They knew him um, to the point where where when we see the betrayal, the hypocrisy of Caiaphas, when he stands, when, when Christ is standing before the Sanhedrin and they're bringing him on trial and he asks, are you the son of God? And Christ says, I am taking on the very name once again of the Tetragrammaton. I am and you will see the son of God coming in power. He refers back to the book of Daniel sitting at the right hand of God. He refers back Caiaphas in his his own hypocrisy recognizes and denies what truly is pointing and centers on the prophecy of Christ. This might be a whole point for a other podcast. You don't have to agree with me, and I'm not saying I'm 100% correct on this. I believe Caiaphas knew exactly what Jesus was, was saying, and I believe that Caiaphas knew exactly who he was sending to the cross. I agree with you, and I and I also believe he didn't care. Yeah, that's what makes it hypocrisy. Yes, because the hypocrisy is I knew, and I'm going to do it differently anyway because I want wow. to. Doesn't that sound like a perfect definition of the sinful nature? It is, and and the hypocrisy of of I'm going to sit. I I believe differently, but I'm going to sit here and make myself look better. 
by doing X, Y, Z or doing whatever I am. And, and, and you see this, you see this in, in, in KFS, you see this in, in, well, you see this in the people of Israel and even Daniel associates himself with it and says, I am this way. Um, and so you have the answer to to the prayer. Now, I, I suppose in the last five minutes of our show, so that people can go away and say, I actually learned something about this prophecy, other than to say, well, guess what? We've raced to the cross, and here's Jesus, which is exactly what we are doing, racing to the cross, here's Jesus. I, I think it must bear note that throughout this prophecy, um, Gabriel gives Daniel caution, and he says, what you are praying for, which is roses without thorns, is not going to be what you get. Bear with me on this one. It just popped into my head, and I apologize to this. So is there? Is it just coincidence, or is it more than coincidence, that Gabriel here announces the racetrack to Christ and he's also the one who announces the, the the coming of Jesus to Mary, to Joseph, and, and is involved with uh, uh, the announcing the birth of John the Baptist. It I, I can't find that being mere coincidence. I have. That's I don't think so. A, would that be a fulfillment of the announce of, of, of also be a fulfillment of this vision that he's introducing? I would say so. I, I would definitely say so. I mean, because then you're 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 resting on on really good, um, you're resting on I think a really good precedent that says God doesn't just send things willy nilly. He sends things as as they should be and 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 as they are to continue his his further fulfillment of what he is doing for us. And, and you see that. Um, you see, and, and I mean, even at the beginning of this whole entire thing, this is one of the first occurrences, by the way, of an angel appearing and mankind not being afraid and notice how it was preferenced and Gabriel, the man, Gabriel came, he came in the, in the form of a man, not in the form of the angelic being and, and they're not afraid. Um, this is kind of an interesting thing. You, you, you're, you're seeing an, an, an interchange here that is going to have lasting results into the future. And I, I, I think you're right in saying Gabriel is seen here. He's going to be seen with Zechariah, right, and Elizabeth. He's going to be seen again with Mary. He's going to be seen again with Joseph. And, and what is it all going to be centering on? It's going to be centering on guess who's coming, guess who's here. Here's Jesus. He got, he got the privilege of not only introducing it, but also bringing or actually being there as it's fulfilled. Yeah, and the only thing we can't give him credit for is the angel who pronounced the good news over the shepherds. Yes. Yeah. But man, if he was the one named there, that would have been just the icing on the cake. Right? Yes. Um, just the icing on the cake. Um but but I think this is the beauty of 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 what we see here is is we see a fulfillment in these and and you can break it up, right? Okay, so if you wanted to break it up, you certainly could. Um, the, the, the very traditional interpretation that we are following is, is very simple. We have from, from the decree of Cyrus to Nehemiah is that first seven week, that, that's, that, that period of time, that seven-year period of time. And then we have that 62-week portion from Nehemiah to right up to the, the, the cross of Christ. 
Okay, that that's that's sixty two. And there's things that are happening in there. You're going to have Antiochus, who's going to be there. You're going to have, um, you know, the 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 the, the Jews are going to have an uprising. There's going to be these battles. It's not going to be nice. You're going to have the death of Christ. Yes. What's interesting to note here, too, is you bring up these different instances. The Jewish rabbis translate that actually, actually, when they interpret this, they take it up to the time of, and what through at the time of Antiochus. Right. And they stop there. It's also interesting to note how how many how many of the reformed take that same approach in their interpretation as the jewish rabbis both interpretations are devoid of christ right whereas we would look at this and we would say okay the first seven weeks is is Here's the first seven weeks. This is going to Nehemiah. Nehemiah to the birth of Christ is that 62 time, a 62 year period, right? Or the 62 week period. And then we have the the last period, which is from from the the ministry of Christ to his death. Um, and we would say, there you are. There's there's your 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 70 weeks of of um of time period where you have have this wonderful prophecy be coming to fruition and being fulfilled. And it is truly a, a wonderful prophecy. It, it's it's something that that um, we could always spend a lot more time on the prophecy itself. But but I think rushing to the cross of where it sti- where it stands and where it ends is is the beauty of the prophecy because it answers the question of the prayer. And the prayer is a beautiful prayer. And, and the prayer is Lord, help us and show us your grace. And the answer is here's my grace. Here's Christ. And, and I don't know if you can get any better than that. In, in any stretch of the imagination, other than to say, um, even to our dear listeners, right? Um, Christ is the center, the focus, the, the pinnacle of all Scripture. Christ for you, uh, living for you, for me. Um, and I don't know what else you can say about the prayer. No, pretty much... Uh, uh, but just like the hymn, Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. 